Amen. All right. If you guys would turn in your Bibles to John uh, chapter 8. We're the, our series or our, our theme this year is called A Fresh Glimpse of Jesus. A Fresh Glimpse of Jesus. And really, if whether, you're, whether you, you don't really know Jesus or you've been a Christian for 50 years, it's always good to have a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is. And, and if you think that you've mastered who Jesus is, um, you haven't, right? None of us have. He is so beautiful, so complex, so amazing that you could spend your whole life, you could spend all of eternity and never get to the depths of all of who Jesus is. And so we've chosen to walk through the gospel according to John, where we have an eyewitness account from one of his 12 disciples that just gives us some of the stories, some of the glimpses about Jesus. And our hope is that we can get a fresh glimpse of Jesus that would ignite new fires, that would reignite old fires, that we would end up this end of this year just be more in love with Jesus. And right now, specifically, we're in a series in the middle of John, and it's called In Process. How many of you guys are in process, right? Yeah, we're all in process. As a matter of fact, we have four ministry values at this church. The one is, first one is everyone matters. Everyone matters. Everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody is a human being with a story, and their story matters to us. That's a value that we have as a church. Everyone matters. The second one is that everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. The third one is this. Everyone is in process. Right. It, that's why we can't look at somebody when someone says, don't judge me. What they're really saying, they're not saying, don't tell me what's right and what's wrong. They're saying, understand that I have a story and that I'm in process. And just because I'm not at the same place that you are or uh, it, we, we can't look at people that way. Right. That's what that's what they're really, I think, saying. That's the negative side of of this idea of judging. And then the last one is that everyone has a part to play. Everyone in God's kingdom, from the smallest to the greatest, the greatest to the smallest, however that works, right? Jesus is always flipping it around. The greatest becomes the, I don't know how that works, but I know this, everyone has a part to play, right? We all have a part to play. And so as we look at this text, Jesus is today is going to be talking about process. He's been talking about process. And if you were to Google process, what is the definition of process? The first thing that pops up is this. It's a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end right so if we're going to if we're going to take a design perspective here we you're supposed to begin with the end in mind right that's what that's what i was taught you ever heard that begin with the end in mind you have to know where you're going and then you figure out how to get there and the process of getting there and we don't always know what the process is and we have to trust jesus a lot of times but there's this idea of process is that there, there's there's a series the pro of, of actions and steps that we take and it's interesting, the Bible calls being a Christian walk, a walk, right? How do you walk? One step at a time, right? We take steps, we're in process. And so th that's kind of the idea. And particularly, Jesus is looking today, and he's going to be talking about the process of becoming. The process of becoming. And that's what Jesus invited his original disciples into, a relationship. And he says what? He goes, follow me, and I will make you become. I will make you become to them. They were fishermen, and he used that analogy, fishers of men. And what that means is I will make you become to be a disciple that makes disciples is what he's going to teach them. I'm going I'm to invite you into a process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. The Greek word for this is matheteos. Matheteos is this idea of being a disciple, of, of being a follower, of being a student. And, and it's this helpful 
um, when, when, we, when, we, when we make disciples, right, we're trying to help people um, progress or in a, in a, in a pro, in a prog- make progress in a process. We're trying to help them take next steps. We're trying to help them see clearly. And so as we enter into this story, it's interesting in John 8, chapter 30. Now you have to realize that Jesus is, is the context is the Feast of Sukkot. We looked at that last week. But even before that, in, in, in John 6 and, and, and 7, we see this progression where Jesus, if he's, if, he's, um, if he's trying to become popular, if he's trying to become a big deal, if he's trying to grow a big organization, um, he almost has this great burst of success where, where 15,000 people come out to see him. Right. And he feeds he feeds the 50, the 5000 men and there's probably 15,000 men, women and children. He feeds them. The very next thing he does, because that would be like success. The very next thing he does, is he takes these 15,000 and he says some 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 particular things about him, who he is. And he dwindles it down to like maybe 100. Right, well, that's a good move. Right. If you're trying to grow your organization to go from 15,000 to 100 in one conversation. Wow. Good job. And then. And then he says some more things. He says, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And it, dr- and it dwindles down now just to the original 12. And then he goes, are you guys going to leave me too? And they go, we have nowhere else to go. And Jesus goes, actually, there's still one more who's going to, you're talking about Judas, right? And we're going to get down to 11, guys. Clap it up for progress, right? And so there's this whole thing, and then it ends up that he's, 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 he's with his brothers. His brothers don't really believe him. He has four brothers at least, like earthly brother, half-brothers really, because right, he was born of a virgin. But, but he has these four brothers, and they go, hey, why don't you go to the Feast of Sukkot if you're trying to become this big deal? Because they don't really believe in him, right? They know he's doing miracles, but they don't like the fact that he keeps saying he's God, right? Like that's really getting in the way of your progress. And they're trying to like, give him some advice, some earthly advice. Hey, stop talking about God. Go there, do miracles. No God. Miracles, no God. Miracles, 15,000. Talk to your God, 11, right? 15,000, what do you want? Go to Sukkot and do that. And he goes, my time has not yet come. And then he does end up going to, 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 the feast, to Jerusalem for this Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, right? And he has this long conversation with them. Again, people are grumbling. They're trying to figure out who is this Jesus. What does it mean? Who is Jesus? And in verse 30, in chapter 8, is where we'll, we'll begin. He says, and he was saying, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. And as, if, we, if we read that and we, and we don't look in context and we don't know the whole thing, we'd say, that's great. Many believed in him. Progress, right? Harvest. No, Many believed in him, but what kind of belief do they have? And that's where we're going to jump in today. Jesus is going to be talking about what a true disciple looks like, what a true believer looks like, what Matheteo looks like from God's eyes, what being an apprentice. And the first thing we're going to see is Jesus is going to call them out. He's going to say, walk daily in Jesus' teachings, right? If you want to be an authentic disciple, you're going to need to walk daily in Jesus' teachings, and the first thing that he's going to say, to get even more specific, he's going to s- make this deep, profound uh, s- uh, idea. He's going to say, true followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. Right? And you're like, no, duh, right? True followers of Jesus, that sounds really simple, but we're going to see that it's not that simple, because many people who say they're a follower of Jesus don't actually flesh that out. They don't actually follow Jesus, and he's going to point out that's the exact predicament that these 
so-called believers, they say many believe, are in. And starting in verse uh, 31 and 32, he says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, my matheteos, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, what, what, what's going on in, in the context is these guys who are believing, they already think they're fine, religiously. They're Abraham. These are the good people. These are the Pharisees. These are, these are the people who think that they have it figured out. They're very religious. They do all of the right things, right? The problem that they're having is that Rome has taken over, and Rome is, is basically influencing and, and enforcing their, their rules on them. And they want freedom. They want political freedom. They believe that a, 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 a Messiah is coming, and they want a political Messiah. They want Jesus to be the guy they've been waiting for who's going to go into Jerusalem and is going to go beyond Jerusalem and is going to basically earn them their freedom. And that's where this Sukkot image comes in we talked about. They want him to be, in, in essence though, they don't want to follow Jesus. They want Jesus to follow them. They don't want to fo- be a follower of Jesus. They want to use Jesus for their own agenda. And, I, and it's easy to go, oh, those guys, right? I can honestly look at my own life and say at times, I do that. At times I say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but in reality, the way that I act, the way that I pray, the way that I, the way that I think, the way that I desire for Jesus, is that I really, I want, him, I want him to get on board with my plan and bless it. I want him to follow me. And he says, no, a true disciple is going to abide in my teaching, literally persevere. You know when you persevere? When stuff stinks. You don't persevere through good times. You don't go like, oh, I just went on vacation, just per- persevered through the lazy river at Hawaii, so like I persevered, I made it. No, you persevere through hard times, and you persevere in the teaching. When it gets hard, and you have to choose. When you have God's word that says do this, and everyone else saying do this, you persevere in it, and you grow in it. It's a process of development, of growing. That's what it looks like to follow me, he says. You abide in my teaching. You persevere in it. You're my followers. You don't just say it one day, I'm a follower. Well, yeah, okay, walk it out. That's the beginning of a process. You still have to continue on in the process, right? And and, and then we'll see this, that everyone is a slave to something. Because here's, Jesus goes, if you abide in my word, then you'll you'll be free. Now, they're offended by this. Why? Because they already think they're free. They already think they're free. What are you even talking about? Freedom. What are we? What are, we're, but and Jesus goes like this. He goes, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Is that true? Because if I read the Bible, if I, I think like Egypt, right, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and now Rome, what do you mean you've never been enslaved to everybody? You've always been enslaved to somebody, Right? Except for a few times that were the glory days, but what are you talking about? Well, they're talking about a spiritual freedom. They think that they're free because they're, they're, because they're Jewish, because of their pedigree. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever forever. 
In first century context, uh, the way that it would look, when you talk about slave, it's, it's not, you've got to get out of our American cultural picture here. What, it, what that looked like was uh, you, you would have a, a young boy, maybe, let's say, as, as an example, right? And, and, the, and the, he would join the family as a servant, as a slave. And he would grow up in that house. He would eat dinner with them. They would kind of take care of him. They would kind of parent him. He was almost like a son, but he wasn't a son. He was a slave because he could actually be, be sent away. He could be sold. Maybe they owed a lot of money. That could, that was like, it was like a commodity. He could be sold. He could even buy his own freedom, or they could, they could give him his freedom. All those things happened. And Jesus is like, when you're a slave, you're a part of this. You're part of something, but it's not the same as being a son. He said, I want you to be a son. And right now, you're slaves to sin. And they don't understand what that is. And in our context, it's like this. When you tell somebody, hey, you need Jesus. What do I need Jesus for? I don't need Jesus. I'm already free. Or we use the language, like our Christianese, we go, Jesus saves. Saved from what? What do I need to be saved from? People will ask that, right? What do I need to be saved from? Your sin. That's what Jesus is saying. But, 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 but for the most part, when we're entitled, we think, I'm free. And here's a couple of kind of ways this fleshes itself out. Some people will say, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do what makes me happy. You ever heard that? I'm free. I can just do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. Guess what? If you're doing whatever makes you happy, you're a slave to your appetites. Because you, 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 can't, you can't outskirt the consequences. And your desires will drive you. You're enslaved to them. But you don't realize it's sneaky. Some of us are enslaved to comfort. We're enslaved to comfort. And we know this because you won't do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's why we respect people that go on mission trips. Well, why, why I can never do that? Or, 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 or people who, who, who do great things. Why I would never get out of my comfort. I just, I just, do, I just stay in my comfort zone. Well, you're enslaved to your comfort zone then, aren't you? Maybe people work so hard and they give up so many things so that they can, they can get enough money that they can be comfortable. That nothing can, that's security, right? It's enslavement in forms. Some of us are enslaved to what other people think about us. I am, right? If you've never had an opportunity to try to like just, just be free and do whatever you want, no, things influence us. They do, right? What people think affects our decisions. What we do, we feel trapped at times, right? We're a slave to this. Here's the sneakiest one of all, and especially to the millennial generation, right? You're a slave to your independence. I'm free. I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to make any commitments. Why? Because I want independence. You're a slave. And how do I know that? Because you won't make commitments. When God calls you to make a commitment, you won't because it infringes upon your freedom for independence to be able to, to, to keep your options open. That's why they're not getting, they're, we're, we, we don't want to get married, right? We don't want to get locked into a long-term job. We like to do things in ministry where you just go for the day and get a t-shirt and a sandwich, but we don't like the thing that's going to be for a whole year's commitment. A whole year? Who knows what's going to happen in a month? You're a slave to your independence. And what it does is it keeps you from following Jesus wholeheartedly because what if he calls you to do something that takes commitment? We're all slaves to something. And lastly, 
Jesus points out the, the most important part. Everyone needs him. Everyone needs Jesus. That's one of our core values because it's true. And Jesus talks like this. Everyone needs Jesus. They think they don't need Jesus. They don't need Jesus in the areas that he's, he's saying that they need him. No, yeah, well, we need you, Jesus. Technically, we need you because you're the one that's going to go over and take over Rome, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to back you politically, and we're going to follow you. We'll be the muscle, and you're the face guy, and, and we're going to do what we want you to do, right? They want Jesus that way, but they don't think, they don't realize they need Jesus because they're entitled. We have Abraham. We follow the, we have the law. We follow the laws, even the ones that we've made up on our own. We follow those too, right? We're not that different than them. But no, you'd radically need Jesus. And so there's this picture that in the process that Jesus often talks about, and it's this. When we realize how much we need Jesus and how much we've been forgiven and how much mercy we need, we fall in love with him. Over and over again, we see two people at a temple. One's a Pharisee, and he's praying, God, thank you so much that I'm not like that guy. And then this guy over here is a sinner, and he's praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus points him out and goes, which one of them do you think has a more of a heart for me? Or, or a Pharisees are sitting there eating, eating a, a meal with Jesus, and all of a sudden this prostitute walks in, right? And she's, 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 she, her heart has been changed. She's already met Jesus. She now has a relationship with Jesus, but they don't know that. They just see her for what they think she is. They've already labeled her. She comes in in worship, and she's, pr- she's crying, and she's wetting his feet with her tears and taking her hair, a woman's most prized possession at that time, and washing his feet with her hair. And they're indignant. They say, get her out of here. She's dirty. She doesn't belong here. Jesus ends up telling this parable, uh, and at, at the end of it, the, the moral of the parable is this. She loves me because she's been forgiven much. You guys don't think you need forgiveness. You think you're privileged to have, like, I, like it's my, Jesus is lucky to be at your house eating dinner with you. That's their attitude. And, and, and yet those who have been forgiven much, love much. See, these people are entitled. Entitlement leads to being a killjoy. Because entitlement is that I deserve this. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve this. So either you get what you deserve and then, oh, okay, well, then I'm okay with God. Because he did what, what I deserve anyways. Or he doesn't do what you want. Now you're mad at God. He didn't give you what you deserved. Now you're entitled. If you got what you deserved, that would be bad. You get mercy. That's the heart of following Jesus is you enter into it through second chances. You enter into it through forgiveness. It's mercy that allows you to be a disciple. It's grace. It's by grace that we're saved. Not something that you deserve. But they don't get this. And Jesus is wanting them to fall in love with him and, and, and let that love drive that process. So the second thing that he'll bring up is this, that, that, that if you're going to be a true disciple, you're going to, one, walk daily in Jesus' teaching, and then, two, you're going to foster a love for Jesus. You're going to fall more in love with him. And he's going he's gonna to point out that religion, the way that you guys are doing it, sons of Abraham, religion, your religion is leading you to death. You're dead. Religion is dead, but it's relationship with Jesus that brings life. It's a relationship that matters. 
Verse 39, he says, they answered him, Abraham is our father, right? That's their religious uh, affiliate, right? That's their religious belief. That's what makes us okay. Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are not doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. No, he says you are doing the works your father did because he's pointing out that you're following the, the father of lies, right? Because you're enslaved to what he, what his influence. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to invite them into. But the thing that's keeping them from that is they think they don't need him. They don't want a relationship with him because they think they already have a relationship with God. And he's pointing out they don't. Because if you were like Abraham, you would love me. And you don't love me, you want to kill me. Which is evidence that you don't really have a relationship with God like you thought. That's his point. Do you have a relationship with God? Let me ask you this. When's the last time, and I, and I would say this to myself too because I've been, I've been processing this. I think, I think it's a healthy thing to do. When's the last time you just took a moment, a little bit of a time, like we call it a Sabbath, in the Christian word, like a rest, some time out. Turn your phone off, which I'm not good at. I need to be better at. Turn the noise off. Maybe it's before you go to bed and you just, rather than like, you know, see how many likes you got, you turn that thing off and you just like have a real conversation with God. And you just do like a little bit relationship checkup. It's so easy if you're like me. It's very easy for me to go through the motions, to get busy, to do a lot of religious stuff, go to church, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. And every once in a while I do this, and sometimes it's like embarrassingly, it's like weeks. And I just, my head hits the pillow. That's usually where it is for me. Like my head hits the pillow and I just stop and go, and I realize, Jesus, I miss you. I feel like I haven't really even connected with you. I'm just like out doing stuff. But am I connected to you? Where's my intimacy with you? And I think that that's, that's normal. I mean, is that, is that not a normal experience if you're a Christian for a while? Can I get some nods? Like, if we are, you guys get it? Like, sometimes we do that. But he, let, me, let me just say this. If you aren't doing that at all, I think that, 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 that that's a kind of a red flag. Maybe there's more to being a disciple than you understand. Because maybe you just get caught up with life. You're like me. I, I would say I'm a true disciple, but I still get in that predicament but it's the fact that I miss him, I think, is a sign of life. Do you miss him? Do you miss him? Even right now, as, as the Holy Spirit's hopefully moving amongst us, are you, are you like, man, I just, wanted, I just want some time with my Jesus. I just miss him. I've been so caught up, and, and it's fine. I'm doing good stuff, maybe. But I just miss him. Are you hungry? Remember what Jesus said last week? He goes, if you are thirsty, come and drink. Are you thirsty? Do you love him? Do you want him? So this idea of fostering a love for him is very important. And when we do that, we learn to place our trust in Jesus, right? They want to follow Jesus on their own terms. They don't want to put their trust in him. They want to put their political backing on him for their agenda. They want Jesus to trust them and do what they want. They want him to be the front guy. He's not going to do that. In John 8, 42, he says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. You'll love me. 
For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You wonder how that feels when you're Jesus, and like we're going through our life, and we're doing all our things, and we're like, we're like, we're like having a bad day, and we're pouting, and we're in a horrible attitude, and he's like, but I'm here. I'm here. Everything's ru- really, everything's horrible in your life? I'm here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm here. Is that even matter? Sometimes, my, I've had this experience. Sometimes you go to a place and you have this memory of the place. Like, I love that place, right? And then years later, you go back and you realize the memories were more about the people I was with than the place I was at. I wonder if, if, if maybe for some of us, our Christianity needs to become more like that. It's who you're with. Who are you with? And Jesus is like, I'm here. <laughs> and you, you, don't, you, know, you don't love me. John Bunyan, in his, in, his, in his classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, he says this simple thing. He goes, what God's, when, 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 you believe, when you start to feel like this, when God, when, what God says is best is best. What God says is best is best, though all the men in the world are against it. That's an attitude I want to have with my Jesus. Place my trust in Jesus so that what God says is best is best. Even if I don't understand, because sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm, you know, we're reading through Leviticus. I don't understand why all the whys. If you do, I mean, something's wrong with you. That's all I'm saying. Maybe not, but that's what I think. And then the, the last thing he's going to say is in, in the section, he's going to say we need to, we need to, we need to have a relationship with him. We need to place our trust in him, and we need to learn to hear and obey his voice. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Not that you can't hear my word, but you don't want to. You can't bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Do you think they like that? No. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin, Jesus says? If I tell the truth, what do you not believe? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You can't hear his voice. And and, and even those who are hearing Jesus, literally they're hearing his voice, but they don't believe it to the point where they're going to obey it. They're not wanting to follow him, right? They're not trying to follow Jesus. Because they would, if they're following Jesus, then he would be the leader, and then he would give instruction, and then they would do it. But that's not how this story is playing out. And he's pointing that out. Elizabeth Elliot's one of my heroes. Anyone else uh, an Elizabeth Elliot fan? If, if, if you're not a fan, you probably don't know who that is. She has a book called Quest for Love. And in this book, she says this, it's it's, it's profound. She goes, does it make sense? I I love her because she just is honest. She's like, she's not, she's not, there's no fluff. I like no fluff. She says, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we are not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? (laughs) You ever do that? God, I want this, I want this. We'd love to pray and talk about the future. And he's like, hey, why don't you go pick up your room? I don't want to do that. Right? Why don't you why don't you why don't you go hug your wife and tell her you love her? I don't know. I mean, she's been a little bit weird lately. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know, we do that, right? 
Like, God, I want this. I want, I want you to do big things in my life. Oh, what about the last three little things I asked? I don't, those weren't too exciting. I want a big thing, right? We do that. That's what she's saying. No fluff. How many momentous events in Scripture depend on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Then she says this, rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend on it. You will be shown what to do next. That's how God works. He doesn't tell you what the future holds. He holds the future and he tells you what to do next. What's your next step? What's your next? No, I want to get here now, God. I'm a microwave generation. No, you got to walk there. You got to persevere there. You got to struggle there. You got to be molded into there. You're not ready for there. He's making you ready for there. You're, you're in the process of becoming. I always wonder this. You know, some, some guys, I, I, and I think of John. We had his video today. He's getting baptized today. And I love the fact that John's like, I don't know everything in the scriptures. That was his biggest worry. I don't know everything yet, so maybe I can't be a leader. And I said, you know what? You do better than anybody I know. You do what you know right now. The things that you know, you do them. He's loving people. He's inviting people into relationship. He's serving people. Does he know? Could he, could he, come, could he get, write a commentary on Leviticus? No, because he's not weird. Right? But he does the little things. Are you doing the little things? Is this quest for knowledge that we have? I want to read all these books. I want to study all these things. Well, what about the stuff you already know? Do you do that? No, I just want to know more. Why? So you look cool? Right? No, it's about obedience that Jesus uh, is so worried about. And, and, and then lastly, we're going to see that He's going to call us out. We're going we're to follow Jesus. We're going to uh, 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 persevere in his word. We're going to fall more in love with him. And then we're going to have a bigger picture. We're going to live for a greater reward. We're going to live for a greater reward. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. You, you're obedient to his word. You fall in love with him because you realize all that he's done for you. And then you live for a greater reward. The early church fathers coined this phrase. I don't know which one. Nobody knows really which one of them, but we know this is from early Christianity, this, this idea that obedience precedes understanding, that we obey before we even understand why. We're not, that's, we're, most of us are like teenagers in Christianity, right? Why? Or, or like a two-year-old, three-year-old, right? They love to ask why. Why? And then you give them an answer. Why? And then you give them an answer. They want a why for the why, with, for the why, right? And you're a teenager. I don't want to do that. Why? Why do I got to do that? Why do I got to go home at 11? Why do I got to do that? Why do I got to do that, right? No, obedience precedes understanding. That's just those teenagers, right? No, we all do that. With God, right? I'm like an, ado- I'm an adolescence in my process spiritually, right? Obedience precedes understanding. He goes, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan, which is basically an insult? It's a racial slur. And have a demon, which is saying that he has a demon. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it and he's the judge, right? You guys are trying to be the judge. No, he's the judge is what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. They don't understand. That's why they won't follow him. We can't understand. We're already. We, wait, I don't think you understand, Jesus. We want you to go 
defeat Rome and get us what we want. That's what they're trying to tell him. He's like, no, you're not listening. I am here to save you from something bigger. And it's inside of you. And you're not listening. <laughs> right? So obedience precedes understanding. And Isaiah, the prophet, before Jesus, long before Jesus, in Isaiah 50.10, he goes like this. He goes, who among you fears the Lord? This is a terminology like who follows God? He's not saying like fear the Lord like you fear a monster. He's saying fear the Lord like, like I'm more afraid to not follow you than, than, and, and, than, than I am to follow you. I'm more afraid of you than I am of everything else. You're the ultimate authority. You're the one I respect. I'm afraid to not be with you is the fear of Jesus. I'm afraid of losing you. I'm afraid of, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to not be with you. I'm afraid to not follow you. I don't know how to do life without following you. I think this all the time. Everybody goes through hard times. I think, how do you go through hard times without Jesus? I can't even imagine. Everyone goes through hard times. But I want to go through hard times. When I go through hard times, I want to go through them with Jesus. And I want to go through them with you guys. Right? I want to be together. And so he says, Who among you fears the Lord and, o- and obeys the voice of his servant? Which is a foreshadow of Jesus. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You ever walk in darkness? In the sense like, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You ever feel like that? That's what he's talking about. The remedy is not to know what to do. He doesn't always tell you what to do. The remedy is this. Trust in the name of the Lord. And rely on your God. C.S. Lewis says in his great book, Mere Christianity, he goes like this. He goes, to have faith in Christ, or to follow Christ, to be a matheteo, he says, of course, uh, it means trying to do all that he says, right? Following Jesus means you follow Jesus. He says, there would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, if you've really become a follower, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. He's entered into a process, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. In other words, you've fallen in love with Jesus and you want to become more like him and that becomes your greatest desire and now your process, remember that end in mind? It's, it, you take actions and steps. The actions and steps you take are the actions and steps that are going to make you more like him. We'll have the worship team come back up. The last two sections are a little faster. The next thing he's going to say is that you, they've put their hope in being Abraham's children. They've made that clear, right? We're Abraham's children. We're fine. No, he says, no, you need to put your hope in Christ alone. The Jews said to him, starting in verse 52, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. That's Jesus' promises, right? If you follow me, you'll have eternal life. You won't taste death. And they ask, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Ironic, right? 
Uh, yeah. But they don't see it that way. They can't get it. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Isn't that interesting? Who do you think you are? They say to God. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Like the guy that you say is your God, he validates me, right? But you have not known him. That's the problem. You don't know him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But do I know but but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. See, if you read the Bible about Abraham, you start to realize what Jesus is saying is true. They keep saying, Abraham, 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 Abraham. Did you ever think about what Abraham did? Abraham was a pagan, and God showed up and talked to him and said, go. And he goes, okay. That's not what I would do. I would be like, go where? Who do you think you are? Who, you, by what authority are you telling me to go? I like it here. Who knows what he, you could have said all those things. He just went. And you look at what they're doing. Jesus is like, I'm here to save you. Well, I don't know we need a savior. Who do you think you are? They're doing what most of us would do. And Abraham followed. He, he, he heard and he obeyed, right? And Hebrews gives a good picture of this. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham. He says he's a, he's a man of faith. He goes, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, was about, that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He's not going to get it yet. He's going to. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Obedience preceded uh, 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 understanding. It says, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God, whom Jesus is. He was looking forward to when Jesus would come. He followed God and looked forward to when Jesus would come. And Jesus is saying, well, now I've come, and you're rejecting the, God, the, the very person that Abraham looked forward to, and you're, now you're saying you're following Abraham? Why well, doesn't make any sense. You guys aren't thinking clearly. You guys don't get it. You need Jesus. And then lastly, he he, he says, I, I, I am. He goes like this. He goes, so the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know that, that that's, a, that's, that's basically the name of God. Moses said, who are you, God? Who should I say is sending me? And he goes, tell him, I am sent you. I am who I am sent you. Jesus is saying, I am, I am. Sam, I am. Right? I am. So the idea here is he's going, he's going like, in this picture, like, like, like C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus is a liar, right? Because he's saying he's God. He's not just doing miracles. He's doing miracles and he's saying he's God. Either he's God or he's lying, which isn't very good. You know, I don't know, I don't know what you, how you guys feel about lying, but it's not a good thing usually. Or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He's, he's mad. He thinks he's God, but he's not. Or he is. And Jesus makes this claim, I am. I am God. And I don't know how you guys are processing this, uh, how, what the Holy Spirit is, is doing within you, but I just want to give you guys a moment, and I'm going to pray. Just a moment. Do a little bit of a relationship checkup. 
And maybe, I don't want you to feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. Uh, uh, you should feel thirsty, not guilty. I want, you know, because life's like that. We all get busy. We all, we all get dried. And Jesus says, if any of you realizes that you're thirsty, if you want more of me, if you want to know me more, if you, if you, if you realize that I've, I've, my mercy has been so great in your life, and if, you just, if it just drives you to want to be closer to him, to need, if, you're, if you're going through a time where it's like, my, I don't know what to do, and I feel stuck, trust in Jesus, he says. When it's dark and it's lonely and you don't know what to do, put your trust in Jesus. And so I just want to give us a time. Maybe we just don't have, a, have a conversation, just say, just do a little relationship check. God, I miss you. Maybe that's where, where you're at. And that's great because he meets you there. And he leads you to the next step on the cross. I don't know what your next step is, but I just, wanna, I just want us all to prepare to take a next step. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to, to sing praise, some true things about you, some things that we learn in your word that we want to sing about who you are, may we be most impressed with why you came. You came because you love us. You came because you want to have a relationship with us. You, you did everything that needed to be done so that we can have a relationship with you. It's a, it's a gift. It's just grace. And God, as our hearts are stirred, I pray that we would desire that grace. I pray that, that, that your mercy would minister to us, that we would understand what forgiveness is, that we would let go of some things that we need to let go of. That we would grab hold of some things that we need to grab hold of. But that our greatest desire would be intimacy with you. To be with you is greater than all other things. In Jesus' name, amen.